The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus today. And in seeing Jesus, give us a further glimpse of your great love for the world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You have no idea how relaxed I feel now that I'm finished doing the children's talk. (laughs) This is nothing compared. Okay. This morning's gospel reading is, uh, is an amazing text which contains several sermons, only one of which I will preach today. Uh, It... (laughs) Promises, promises. It is fairly traditional to talk about St. Thomas uh, today because the story that we just finished reading about Thomas happened one week after Easter. But I actually want us to look at the first part of the gospel we're reading this morning, the part where Jesus appears in the upper room to meet with the ten disciples who are gathered there. Uh, First of all, a little bit about the setting It's the first day of the week, the evening of that day, says the text. Uh, This, of course, is is Easter Day. It's evening of Easter Day. Uh, And when we get to the story of Thomas, it says, on the eighth day. In other words, Jews counted days inclusively. So, in other words, on the next Sunday. These references and others in the New Testament are, are why... Christians fairly quickly began to worship on Sundays rather than on the Sabbath because this day is the day of the resurrection. And the day of the resurrection, of course, is the first day. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 1, you will know that the first day is the day that God began to make the world. So what we have here on this new first day, is a new world. God is remaking the universe through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's when this takes place. That's the temporal setting. What about the physical setting? Where are we? Well, we're in probably the upper room, probably the same room where Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples, probably the same room where the disciples would later receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The important thing about this room, according to this text, though, is that the door is locked. There is a good reason that the door is locked. Remember, Jesus was crucified... He was put on a cross for political reasons. Uh, They were the wrong political reasons, but that doesn't much matter to those who have power that they are able to use and abuse. If Jesus was crucified as if he were Barabbas, as if he were involved in some rebellion, some insurrection, That puts Jesus' disciples in trouble as well. They were his followers. So they would be those who needed also to be rounded up by the authorities and done away with. 
And so they are afraid. They lock the door. So here we are. It's the first day of the week. They have heard rumors from the women that Jesus has risen from the dead. But they are still afraid. They lock the door. And Jesus stood among them, it says. Well, it doesn't actually say in the text uh, whether he stood among them because he unlocked the door or knocked on the door and they let him in. But the impression we get from the text is that he didn't knock and they didn't open the door. The impression we have from the text is that even though the door was still locked, suddenly Jesus was among them. This should not surprise us. Earlier in the gospel, we have seen the empty tomb. And in the empty tomb, we see Jesus' grave clothes neatly laid out as if there had been a body in them. The Jesus who found it to be no trouble to pass through the grave clothes, it seems, has no trouble either getting through a locked door. Something about this resurrection body is different from the way Jesus used to be. So, Jesus stood among them. So, we have the setting. A group of disciples afraid on Easter Day in a locked room and suddenly Jesus is there. Jesus tells his disciples basically three things. The first thing he says is, peace be with you. Well, this is not a great shock because this is what Jews say to one another. Shalom. Uh, It is a little unusual that in the reading this morning, the word is repeated three times. Peace be with you, he says. And a few minutes later, peace be with you. And then a week later, when Thomas is there, peace be with you. You would think that maybe Jesus is trying to make a point. Your fears can be left behind. The door no longer has to be locked. You don't have to worry anymore. Peace has come. God's shalom has come. One of the hymns we sang last week began, The strife is o'er, the battle won. The war is over. Peace has come. On the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. It is accomplished. And because it is accomplished, because God's work has been done by Jesus' death on the cross, peace has come. The defeat of sin and evil and death has resulted in peace with God. Paul says it like this, Once we were enemies of God, but now God has reconciled us to himself In Christ Jesus, peace be with you. And this peace is exhibited to the disciples in a peculiar way. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. A few years ago, when when we lived in Africa, I was lecturing on the resurrection to my favorite group of theological students. And there was one student who sat in the front row whose name was Jeremiah, 
who very often raised interesting and uncomfortable questions. Jeremiah had, uh, had polio when he was a child and walked with a severe limp. When I talked about the resurrection body and when we talked about the wounds that Jesus still had after the resurrection, he put up his hand and he said, Teacher, does this mean I am still going to limp in the resurrection? Interesting question. Very interesting question. I had to think about this one. Finally, I was able to say, no. Only redemptive wounds last into the resurrection. And the only wounds that are truly redemptive are the wounds of Jesus. All other wounds are healed by his wounds. He showed them his hands and his side. They are, those wounds are still there. In the last book of the Bible, in the Revelation, John has a vision. And in this vision, he is told about the Lion of Judah. And he turns to see the Lion. And what he sees is a lamb standing as though it had been slain. An interesting picture. The lamb is standing. It is alive. It's standing up. But it's standing as though it had been slain. In other words, the wounds from slaying this lamb are still there. The throat of the lamb had been cut. But the lamb is alive. Jesus' wounds are still there in heaven. Another hymn says, those wounds yet visible above. The wounds of Jesus remain forever into eternity to reveal to us the depth of God's love for us, that God would go this far as to give his life for us. The disciples then were glad when they saw the Lord. The resurrection gives birth to joy. Yes, on that day they were afraid because they didn't understand. They were sorrowful because of the death of Jesus on the cross. But their sorrow and their fear has now been turned to joy. So this is the first word Jesus gives. Peace be with you. The second word that Jesus gives to his disciples on that day is, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Each of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts, has a version of what we know as the Great Commission. In other words, Jesus telling his disciples what they have to do now. Now that Jesus has risen from the dead and is going to his Father, what is their task And so he commissions them. The Great Commission in John is unique because it puts uh, the mission of the disciples in, uh, in a huge, immense context. You know, it's easy to talk about mission or to talk about evangelism or to talk about witnessing to your neighbor 
and make the congregation feel guilty. I have been there at mission sermons in which I was told, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. And we do. But mission isn't about guilt. Mission isn't even about us in the end. The word mission comes from a Latin word, which means sent. And if you read through the Gospel of John, more than 40 times you will see this verb, send. But most of the time it isn't talking about us. It's talking about Jesus. The Father sent the Son. The Gospel of John says this over and over. Uh, I know that you know this because you have watched sporting events. When the guy holds up the sign, he doesn't do it as much anymore. I don't know if it's the same guy who does it now. I've seen it from time to time recently. John 3.16, it says. I think maybe some people have even looked up the verse to find out what it says. God so loved the world that he sent. He sent his only son. That's what mission is about. It's, it's about God's heart. God's heart of love for the world. God's heart, which is so overwhelmed with love for those who do not love him. God's love that is so full of love for a world that hates God. That God gives himself in the person of, him, of his son for the life of the world. In other words, Jesus is the missionary. If there is anyone in the Bible who is a missionary, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes from God with a mission to save the world. Now, in this verse, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Well, how has the Father sent Jesus? If Jesus is sending us just as, just in the same way as the Father sent him, what does that mean? Do we know anything about how the Father sent Jesus? There is very little in the Bible that tells us about the life, the inner life of the Trinity before the world was made. Very little indeed, except a couple of chapters earlier than this. If you've got your Bibles uh, and you're at page 882, turn left a little bit from John 20 to John 17. Here we have the only glimpse of the, the life of God before the world was made. John 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify thou me in thine own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. Before the world was made, Jesus and his Father well, it's anachronistic. The Son and the Father and the Spirit were together and lived in glory. And then a couple of verse, a few verses later, verse 18 of chapter 17. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Sanctify them, uh, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. And now verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have, sent, have you, you have given me, may be with me where I am. Jesus asks that the disciples would be with Jesus where he is. Where is he? He's going to the Father. So Jesus wants us to be with the Father. Why? To behold my glory, which you have given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. In other words, the life of God before everything else is a life in which God lived in a relationship of love. And it is out of that relationship of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that Jesus was sent to the world. And it's out of that same love that we are sent. Mission is not about just accomplishing tasks that need to be done, although it is about that. It's not about simply addressing the needs of the world and getting it done. Whatever it takes. Mission is about the love of the Father, which he has poured out on Jesus and which Jesus is pouring out on us. Mission is about participating in God's mission of sending the Son, which now includes us for the sake of the whole world. Well, as the commercial says, but wait, there's more. Jesus has brought peace to the disciples. And now he has said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. The word breath, of course, in both Hebrew and Greek, in both the biblical languages, means wind. Breath. Spirit. You remember at the beginning of the Bible, God took a lump of clay and he fashioned it into a human being. And then what did he do? He breathed on it. And Adam became a living being. God's breath was put into Adam and animated him. And a few weeks ago, we heard about a valley of dry bones. And they were very dry. And God's wind swept over that valley. God's breath came into those bones. And they stood up and lived. A vast army of people. I think Jesus knew these texts. And I think Jesus knew that his disciples would get it. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus empowers them to do the mission. But more than that, John doesn't actually talk about power. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit as power. That's true, but it's more than that. 
it's about life. Jesus breathes his life into the disciples so that wherever they go, they can spread God's life. Well, that's what it's about, isn't it? Remember that verse again, John 3.16. God sent his son. God so loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. It's about life. In another verse, Jesus says, I have come that they would have life and that they would have it in abundance. The end of the gospel reading today says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The disciples are cowering and afraid in a room with a locked door. When Jesus comes into their presence, he gives them peace and they also receive joy. But more than that, they are able to go out into the world and give peace and give joy and give life to the world. If you forgive the sins of any, they have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. The church, we, you and I, are in the sin and forgiveness business. Uh, The church is much better at the sin part just like the rest of the world. But the church knows that along with the reality of sin comes God's power of forgiveness. The life that Jesus has breathed into us by the Holy Spirit is a life which goes out into the world to bring forgiveness of sins to all who would come, to any who would believe, John 3.16 says. This is what the resurrection is about. It's about having peace with God. It's about God's love lavished on the world in Jesus and now lavished on the world through the work that Jesus sends us out to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love the world so much that you came to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you love the world so much that you send us in the power of your spirit to bring life Help us to so rest in the Father's love and to so be comforted and filled with joy and peace that this message of life may be felt by all around us. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.